0: Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good, that you love us, that you're with us. I pray especially for those of us this morning who feel like uh, life is not ending up the way we thought it would, which would be a lot of us. Uh, Will you give us a sense of your peace and may this word this morning give us uh, some direction that brings us actually joy and hope. Uh, We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before I came here to work at Hope Covenant uh, almost a few years ago, I think it's been, yeah, almost, it's crazy how time just flies. But before that, I worked for an organization that we did discipleship ministry with, with um, mostly pastors and churches in developing world countries And just about everybody that we worked with, actually everybody that we worked with was in what we would consider extreme poverty, but the church was thriving in these areas. And so we got to hear stories all the time from these brothers and sisters in Christ that would just blow my mind. I mean, it it was no surprise to me because I'd heard stories like this before, but it would just shock me sometimes how incredibly amazing their strength of faith was. One story that I remember, I think of um, uh, some pastors and my, one of my co-workers was sitting with some pastors that were talking about persecution in their country where the pastors were often being tortured. They'd be thrown into jail. Uh, not a fun thing. And one was sharing how severe persecution toward Christians had gotten in his area. This pastor talked about beatings and arrests and church burnings. This had become just kind of normal, kind of everyday thing for them. And when my friend, co said they were so sorry to hear uh, what was happening and, you know, we're going to pray for the persecution to stop. Listen, the pastor said, no, 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 don't, don't be sorry. Uh, this is actually a good thing. This purifies the church and it draws us close to God and listen to this. And anyway, when we are in jail, Jesus sits next to us and holds our hand. You know, I hear stories like that, and I go, what? <laughs> how is this even possible? How is this, how is this possible? How can people actually live lives this way? And part of me goes, whoa, I really want that kind of faith. I want that kind of joy and fullness. I really, really want that. But then I have to go, But do I want it the way they learned it? And honestly, not really. (laughs) I am really glad that we don't experience real persecution here. And the things that some people call persecution in America, um, they would quickly change the word if they met some of these folks that go through it. But it just got me thinking, and for years it has me thinking, about how sometimes people who love Jesus in other places seem to have some things that are a little more of a foreign concept to me. And so as we are in this series that we are calling Fear Not, um, we're talking about finding peace in an anxious world. And the scripture that we began with last week that we're going to look at a little deeper again this week is a scripture that I think shows us there are people, which shows me there are people who understand things about life and hope and joy, even while they're going through stuff that I don't always understand, I don't always get. So I'm going to read the passage here from James chapter 1, where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And last week, I spent most of my time just really wondering about about consider it pure joy when we trace, face trials. Joy when we face trials of many kinds. And it's going to be joyful because we know that the testing is going to result in perseverance that's going to grow us up. And again, it's, it almost sounds like, really? Come on, really? Is this really joy in that column? Uh, interestingly, some of the other translations uh, say this. They say, um, consider it pure joy. They say it this way, count it all joy. Count it all joy When you experience trials, count it all joy. (laughs) Essentially, chalk this one up to joy. You're going through some hard stuff. Hey, there you go. Chalk this one up for joy. It's like, hey, we're keeping score. And the thing that just happened, we're going to put that one in the joy column. (sighs) Put it in the joy column. It's a trial. It's a test. But let's put it in the joy column. And again, joy in trials. Wondering and wanting to explore a little more this week of how does that work? And last week, just a quick review, we looked at how the word, how how the passage here says that trials lead to testing, and that testing word, uh, the Greek there, means to purify. Um, It's a purification process, and the picture that we are given is how um, that purification process works this way. It's like heating up metal, and then when it gets heated up, all the impurities float to the top. And they skim it off and then cool it down. And there's many processes and cycles of this until it's more and more pure. But the result of that test, of that purification, is that it makes the metal stronger. And the result in your life and mine is that that test can make you and I stronger. It can make us actually more stable. Actually, these tests can they don't always, but they can enable us to persevere, right? That's what that phrase, testing develops perseverance. That's what that means. And I think about the idea of perseverance and I go, you know what? I think that's worth having. I want perseverance. Perseverance is is that characteristic that no matter what goes on, we can look ahead and move along and not just get squashed and paralyzed all the time by everything that comes up. That however long it takes, at some point we persevere, we press through, we don't keep spinning our wheels in that same circle and being taken out by that same thing, we develop perseverance, which is a part of character, it's a part of resiliency. Which in verse 4 it says here, the end result of that perseverance of going through that heating up process, the end result is that you and I would be, it says, mature and complete. Meaning, you will grow up. It means that you will be formed in this. See, we talk here at Hope about the identity that Jesus gives us and what he says is true about us. And sometimes we go, wow, he says I'm a saint. He says that I am holy. Well, there's a formation process that happens to make us look more like the true self that he says is true about us. See, scripture doesn't say you are a dirty, rotten sinner. Fix yourself. Now, in the New Testament, we never get called sinners. It says, you are a saint. Well, when my stuff doesn't line up with the truth of Scripture, I want to figure out how does that actually work? And it works in the transformation process, where we cooperate with the work that God does so that we move more truly into who he says we are and what he says is true about us. We cooperate with this process of transformation And we are maturing into what God says is true about us. We are growing into it. See, because apparently, going through pain, going through hard times, going through trials, it shapes something in me that can be formed probably no other way. And last week I mentioned It's going through the trial. It's going through the hard thing, not over it, not around it, not under it. We go through it. We don't avoid it. And what it can do, if we, in the words here of the scripture, if we let it, we don't avoid it, is it will grow us up. It will mature us. See, friends, for a long time in my Christian walk, I had this theology that did not allow or understand any of this. I mean, my theology wasn't all wrong. There were things that I discovered and learned and lived out that were really important things about following Jesus. Some, sometimes it was, uh, how do you deal with pain and frustration and trials? And, and I know that part of the path towards moving toward healing uh, has to do with getting real honest about my junk, about my pain, about my, about my disappointments. Um, I learned... Uh, A while back, something very helpful, that, that it's not somehow more spiritual to fake it till you make it. No, that's not in the Bible, and that would actually be lying. It's not more spiritual to hide stuff. It's just, it's not. See, the Bible actually tells us, Jesus himself tells us to get the stuff that's going on in here out here. That's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we'll get into that passage when we return to our Beatitudes series sometime in the next month or two. But let's get the stuff that's in here, out there. That's the only way to get free or whole. That's the only way to find any level of comfort. And friends, I love that that is in the DNA of who we are as a people at Hope. Long before I ever showed up here, right? We said, no perfect people. There are no perfect people. So we aren't going to fake it. We're not going to pretend. And myself and Troy and Will and Jim and our rest of our staff, we want to foster that kind of stuff at the heart of our community here, a community where there's no need to pose, no faking, that we don't ever have to hide or pretend. We value authenticity. We don't want that to ever change about who we are here at HOPE. What I discovered about 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, that in studying this passage, um, that there was a mixed bag in me on this one. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I was in the middle of a really deep, hot trial, I guess you could say. It was The, the heat was up, the heat was cranked up, and my stuff, my junk, my garbage was floating to the top, and the trial that I was in, by the way, is that I was uh, planting a church, and we were doing it in a very uh, unique kind of way, and church planting, by the way, is really hard, and one thing that the heat being raised on my life uh, surfaced and made really painfully obvious obvious, is that I had this tendency, in my being a really honest, authentic person, I had this tendency to, to gravitate towards being a really cynical guy, See mixed in the pot of some really good things, like authenticity, honesty, was some junk in me, including cynicism. I mean, I was kind of known, um, and people actually sometimes liked me better because I was a little bit of a, a rebel against you know overly big corporate church systems. Um, I was pretty cynical and made comments about weird stuff in church and Christianity culture, which isn't hard to do, right it's an easy target um but then jesus shined a light on this thing in me and i had to admit that my <clears throat> honesty my authenticity also had this really cynical angle to it and truth be told i liked that hint that hint that uh, the edge of cynicism but when when the heat of life surfaced it here's the deal I had a choice, I could either, I could do one of two things, I could either blame, deny, justify, you know, excuse it just like I had before, well of course this stuff is stupid and I'm just being genuine and real, I'm gonna mock everything, I wanna be unique and original, I could keep doing that, or (laughs) when it surfaced, I could let the light of God have shined on it and I could admit it, confess it, And repent of it. And repent just simply means to turn and go the other direction. And by the way, that's the only way that God can heal this stuff. We confess our sins so that we may be healed, the scripture tells us. In fact, this was 12 years ago in listening to a sermon and studying this passage. Um, But it was sparked by hearing a sermon by Dave Johnson which I had heard 12 years before that, and it made a difference, I suppose, back then, but somehow it came back to me, and I realized, and I re-listened, and it hit me right between the eyes. And one of the things Dave mentioned in that, and this is more than 20 years ago, and I think he's spot on because it's true today, but he said this cynical thing, it's actually all over our culture. It infects a lot of us, like the cynicism It's funny, it's hip, it's cool, right? And I had started to see that I had embraced it. Like I had tried to make cynicism my friend. I thought it made me more original or cool or hip. And I thought it made me more real to the people I was pastoring. But you know what cynicism actually does, friends? See, it actually absolutely makes it impossible. Absolutely impossible. Cynicism makes it absolutely impossible for me to experience joy in suffering. It makes me absolutely incapable of having peace when pain hits. And see, that was, that was true in me. It's true of our cynical culture. It makes it absolutely impossible for us to experience joy in suffering. It makes us absolutely incapable of having any sense of real peace when pain hits. Because in our cynicism, we want to blame somebody. We want to give in to resignation. We want to become caustic. And friends, that leaves no room for joy to take root. None. And friends, I knew back then, what I know today as well, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to live that way. I do want to do the good stuff, right? I want to tell it like it is. I always want to express the truth. I want to be authentic. I want to be real. I want to call it like I see it. But I asked God to begin to deliver me from that cynical bent of my false self. That I would still be authentic, but that that cynicism wouldn't saturate my perspective. That it wouldn't be able to rob me of joy because I knew that it was time for me to grow up. It was time for me to to reflect the beauty of this grace that I say that I believe in. And and listen, if you've been around me 12 years later, you're like, wow, this is better than back then, right? Because I still catch myself doing this stuff, and I can drift that way. So I still have to be aware and ask God to help me when I drift into this cynicism. Because friends, with this and every other impurity that shows up in my false self... Uh, insecurity, arrogance, people-pleasing, passivity. Uh, My friends in the room, my wife especially, could tell you there's a much longer list and they'd be happy to throw them out there, but we are on the clock, so we're not going to go there. But all those impurities uh, in my false self... um, you know what, I want to leave that stuff behind. I want to leave behind childish things and step into the deep waters of trusting that my father is good, that no matter what I'm walking through, my father is good, that he loves me, that he's got my back, that he is fully engaged, that he's paying attention, that I can trust his heart, and maybe that I could swap my cynicism for joy. And you know, I think the place that that best happens is in the middle of a trial of intense heat. And when it floats to the top and I see it and repent of it, what I do is I'm giving God permission to skim it off when it floats to the top. And I think that would result in a strengthening of character, wouldn't it? Maybe even resulting in developing more perseverance. Perseverance. Carrie, could you slide that over just a foot? There's this really intriguing story in the book of Jeremiah. Um, It's the tribe, this nation named Moab. It's a people that are about to come under judgment. And the reason that God's going to put them under his judgment uh, in Jeremiah 48 is because of this. uh, Verse 11, because Moab had been at ease since his youth. He has also been undisturbed, it says, like wine on its dregs, and he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. Therefore, he retains his flavor, and his aroma has not changed. Kind of a weird passage. And of course, Jeremiah was kind of a weird poetic guy, right? (laughs) Interesting prophet. And what we're talking about here is a tribe of people, a people group. But you could be talking in this passage about a church, a community, even a person. Someone who's been, let's look at the passage, been at ease. Like no trouble, just sort of kick back. Just posh life, you know, eating grapes. Just kind of coasting their whole lives. The next line there says, Moab has been at ease since its youth, undisturbed like wine on its dregs. Now, um, I'm not a wine connoisseur. I know that comes as a shock to a bunch of you, but I am not a wine connoisseur. Um, I can tell you the best box wine, maybe. I don't know. But um, I had to do a little learning on this one here. And something I learned about this dregs thing is that dregs refer to sediment that is in wine. Uh, And it comes from the process of making wine, so there'd be a little... um, things from the grapes that are still there, or, or things that have settled in there. In, in making the wine, there's this sediment, and what they would do is they'd pour it into the vat. They'd let it sit for a, for a long time, and you know, among other things that happen when you let it sit in the vat, uh, the sediment just drops to the bottom. And after it's settled... You pour the wine out again. You filter it. It says poured from vessel to vessel. And as the wine is poured from one container to the next, and there's some filtering that goes on, there is now in that next container less sediment. But some is still there. So you got to let it settle. And once it settles, you pour it out again. And a lot more sediment gets taken out. But there's still some. So you pour it out again from vessel to vessel. So this process of settling and pouring it out so that you can remove the sediments, um, especially in ancient times. This is part of what they would do. And it would bring out the rich flavor of this wine. And over time, this process, as more and more sediment gets removed, there would come this, this rich, mature flavor over the wine. But the passage here is saying, but Moab, like a, like a spoiled child, never having to face consequences, never having to grow up, never having to press through anything, Moab never got poured out, says he retains his flavor. His aroma is not changed. So now he just, now he just smells like himself. Uh, look at that phrase there. It says, he's not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he had to go into exile. Uh, I think he's saying here, never has he had to deal with his aloneness. Never has he had to deal with anything by himself because somebody was always bailing him out or he had enough resources to be bailed out or stay away or avoid. And therefore, it says he retains his own flavor and his aroma has not changed saying all the sediment, all that junk is still there. He still smells like a spoiled little brat. He says and does anything he wants, and somebody's going to give him a free pass and make excuses and let it keep happening. Do you know of anybody like that? Do not elbow anybody in your household here, but do you know of anybody like that? see i think we can draw that back even because we don't have to even think of one person much of our culture is like that much of our culture but but when people and cultures are like moab but especially people when we're like moab those folks are still after many years they are bitter they're undrinkable they're full of sediment there's no character David Johnson says, I promise you, if you have no character, the only kind of joy you will ever experience is when the sun is shining and everything is lining up just the way it has to line up for you. You know what that means, he says? Very little joy. Back to James 1. So friends, if we honestly hope to put trials and pain into the joy column... I think we have to have a glimpse of how life in the kingdom of God works. I think there's some things that we're gonna have to allow, like verse four of James says, it says, Don't try to get out of anything prematurely. This is out of the message. Let it do its work so you may become mature and well developed, not deficient in any way. And last week we hit that phrase Don't try to get out of it, let it do its work. Don't run from it, allow it. And the Greek word for allow there is actually in the passive tense. It's saying, let it happen. Just go along with it. It doesn't mean be passive, but don't just keep fighting it and trying to escape it, which is precisely why James says what James says. He's saying it's all intentional here. Let endurance do its work, which means allowing yourself to feel this thing. It means allowing myself to not medicate it or avoid it, or thwart it, or self-protect by becoming bitter and cynical or blaming everyone else, but by allowing myself to press through this thing, to go through this thing, to maybe even learn from this thing. Last week, I quoted Richard Rohr, and I found another way that he said it in a different book that I like even better, and it's from his book, Everything Belongs. He says this, he says, in terms of soul work, (laughs) We dare not get rid of the pain before we have learned what it has to teach us. I'm gonna leave that quote on the screen, but read some more. He says, that's why the poor have a head start. They can't resort to the instant fix to every problem, an aspirin or a trip or some kind of entertainment. Let me add this. They can't just go buy the quick vacation. They can't go get a new car. They can't do the designer drugs. They can't exchange their old spouse for a new one on a whim. Those are all ways that we try to escape the heat, to medicate the pain, to never enter into allow God the deep, Work that brings life back to roar, the fact is he says, most Aboriginal peoples that i 've studied um, put us to shame with their simple happiness, their patience and endurance in the presence of difficulties and quote and this isn 't just Aboriginal people if you 've ever been to a developing country, you know this to be true you 've seen this because Many people in these places of abject poverty, uh, instability, in these places of suffering, they have a capacity for joy in the middle of trials that I have to go, I I don't know anything about it compared to them. And if you've gone on a mission trip, you've seen this, right? Maybe the most confrontational piece of going to another country and serving is realizing that many of these folks in the middle of their abject poverty and pain, they still have this sweetness, this joy. We go, what? I I mean, I think of so many people. I think of a trip I took many years ago to Africa, um, specifically on uh, the church I was working with and addressing HIV and AIDS. And we went to the Kibera slums outside of Nairobi, Nairobi, Kenya. And I expected to see suffering and I did. But some of these folks who were in suffering and dying and about to die any day still had this genuine love for Jesus and they had joy. (laughs) They could sing with joy and the smiles still stick with me. Um, I I think of a prison that I used to go to every week and, and do ministry for a couple of years and I met a guy named Kenneth and Kenneth... Uh, At this point now, he'd be probably 60, early 60s. Um, But he was so joyful, so happy. Every time I went in, every single time I went in, he cheered me up. Like the guy's not getting out until 2033. He would cheer me up. He somehow had this understanding. It was not a fake joy. It was real or the persecuted believers that I talked about at the beginning of this message, some amazing examples. And Richard Rohr again says this, by trying, by trying to handle all suffering through willpower, denying, medication, or even therapy, we have forgotten something obvious. We do not handle suffering. Suffering handles us in deep, And mysterious ways. So, says James, let this thing run its course. Because it will have the effect of growing us up so that we are whole. That we are well-rounded. That we are, as the passage says here, that we have all the necessary parts. Here's my last thought on this uh, for today, anyway. Anyway comes out of John chapter 16, verse 20. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you that you will, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. (laughs) Next verse, verse 21, he says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Her joy is so great that that pain fades, is diminished. It was still real. It is still real. But the comparison, the joy, is what he's getting at. And Jesus is saying here to his disciples and saying to you and me, you will weep and mourn. You will have sorrow. But then verse 21, it's, it's like a woman in childbirth. She's suffering because her time has come. It's no fun at all. The heat is intense, but when her child is born, it's like she doesn't even remember the pain because of what? Joy. Joy that the child has been born. But friends, for her anguish to ever be put in that category that she would now call joy... She'd really have to want that child and value that child. She'd have to desire that child. She'd really have to love that child and be so grateful for that child. And I know it's weird to say this, but the fact is that not every mother does. And in our case, friends, in our Christian walk, if we do not value the character, the perseverance the formation of our lives, the transformation we have in Christ. If we don't value the process of being fully formed and we just want to push the button and just be okay, we think, oh, I'll be fine, I just need to do these view verses and push the right combination of name it, claim it, and everything will be great if we live that way instead of valuing. (laughs) See, we have to value this process of being fully formed. That's the baby, right? That's the baby in the analogy here. But if we don't care about that, if we don't care about the baby, if we don't care about formation, then the pain in our lives, the heat in our trials can never be redeemed. It never turns to joy. It will actually become another reason for me to feel bitter and angry and ripped off. And believe me, I've been there before. Dave Johnson again says, if you don't care about things like character and endurance, integrity and strength, and being formed in the image of Christ, you will never be able to put trials into the category that you call joy. And you will ever be the victim. He's saying here that strength and endurance will never be formed, which raises the question for you and I, what do we want? What do we desire? Do we just want to be pain-free or do we want to be fully formed? Do we want to live as a bitter victim or do we want to grow into joy? Because friends, right now, the stress, the stretching, (laughs) the labor, the trial, the pain, the wondering, the confusion that we're in might feel something like childbirth. And I believe Jesus is asking, so what do you want? What do you want? Amy Carmichael, in a poem written many years ago, said it this way Have you no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear you sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail your bright ascendant star. Have you no scar? Have you no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent, leaned me against a tree to die, and rent by ravenous beasts that encompassed me, I swooned. But have you no wound? No wound, no scar? Yes, as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But yours are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, who has no scar? And maybe James would ask us, you have a scar, you have a wound, well i would say put that scar put that wound into a category that you call joy because those kinds of things produce endurance and perseverance and if you let perseverance run its course if you don't abort it or run away from it i'm telling you you will come out fully formed transformed well-rounded whole with all the necessary parts complete As the scripture says, complete, lacking nothing, which will for you result in what? Joy. (laughs) As we finish this morning service with communion, so run and grab your juice and bread if you haven't already. We'll kill a minute here. Um, I think of the scripture in Hebrews chapter 2 where it says that Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. (laughs) I love that verse. Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And what was the joy in front of Jesus that gave him the courage to endure the cross? See, that joy was the ransom of you and of me this ransom where where the whole world had been under the influence of the evil one. But Jesus comes, offers his life as a sacrifice, endures pain like you and I could never imagine, but he does it for the joy set before him. He once and for all paid the price to set us free, to ransom us from sin and death. And so as you gather the bread and juice this morning, we think of Jesus and what he endured, what he actually didn't allow to win. Didn't allow to stop him. He pressed right through it. And the reason, the joy of his ransom was you and for me. And he knew on the night that he was betrayed, he knew what he was going towards. And so it says on the night he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. He said, This is my body. Is broken for you take and eat and do this in remembrance of me then it says after the supper he took the cup it would have been a common cup and after he had blessed it and given thanks he looked at his followers and said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise, which is in my blood, which will be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And so as you at home take the elements the bread and the cup you eat and drink. Remember the joy that Jesus pointed himself to in order to endure what he went through because he did it for you and for me. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you poured out your life for us that because of you, we now get to be free and there is redemption that comes. There is redemption that comes that our suffering and our pain isn't for nothing, but that you actually can bring joy out of it. Bless my brothers and sisters now as we hear this song, may we enter into the reality of what you do in our life and what Jesus did as he poured himself out for us. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen.
1: In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender You are breaking new ground So I yield to you and to your careful hands When I trust you I don't need to understand Make me a vessel Make me an offering Make me whatever You want me to be I came not here with nothing But all you have given me Jesus bring new wine me. In the crushing In the pressing You are making trust
0: What a beautiful prayer. Jesus, will you, in the crushing, in the pressing, that feels like we're going to die, or that we're never going to be okay, that we'll never experience freedom or healing or joy, Jesus, will you, in that crushing and pressing, when the heat is turned up, when stuff floats to the top, Jesus, will you skim that stuff off, filter those things out? Will you make new wine out of me? What a beautiful prayer. So people of hope, as you go into your week, as we as a people face the stuff that's in front of us in the pandemic, in some of your own personal lives, the trials you're coming into, trials that are coming to you. May you and I not deal with them in the ways that maybe we've dealt with them before. May we not deal with them by medicating our pain, by becoming cynical and angry. May we not deal with our stressors by looking for someone to blame, especially our spouse or kids or whoever. May we not do all our diversionary tactics that were so well-practiced at. May we not become cynical and just be critics of the world around us in the pressing and in the crushing. May you and I consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, as this trial and many trials come to refine us because we know, we do know, that, that the testing of our faith produces perseverance and we want that. And we want perseverance to finish its work so that you and I could be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let that scripture be your heart. Let the prayer of Jesus make new wine out of me be with you all through this week. We bless you as you walk with God, as you pay attention to his voice, as you wonder where He's leading you and us, what he's calling us to. And when stuff surfaces, will we be quick to repent and let him skim that off? Bless you now in this week with courage, with hope, with grace, buckets of grace, because we need it. But especially, I bless you this week with joy. In the name of the Father and the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.